Hey there, welcome to the What Connects Us podcast, where we explore human connection with people in Saskatchewan. Today we're chatting with Kendra Weenie about how she survived and escaped domestic abuse and the healing journey that has come after. It's a very powerful episode, so let's get started. All right, we're creeping up to the end of season five of the What Connects Us podcast and have saved two very impactful episodes to end off the season. The first is a story of resilience through trauma that sheds a light on a topic that a lot of people, particularly women, face in silence. Something that might surprise you is that Saskatchewan has the highest rate of reported intimate partner violence among all provinces and more than double the national rate. We are so lucky to have Kendra Weenie on the podcast today because she is going to take us through her heartbreaking story where her and her newborn daughter had to flee a situation where her partner was emotionally, financially, and physically abusing her. Kendra gives us a glimpse into her unimaginable experience and provides key learnings in how she was able to escape, what resources she utilized, and how to best support someone navigating this. Before we get started, I just want to pose a really quick trigger warning for anyone listening. Kendra and I will be discussing the physical and emotional trauma experienced through intimate partner violence. If this is a topic that impacts your mental health, please prioritize your own self-care and don't be afraid to turn the podcast off or skip ahead if you need. Kendra is so incredibly vulnerable and courageous and so insightful in the way that she approaches this conversation, and I feel so lucky that she agreed to share her story with us. Whether this is a situation that you are navigating on your own and are looking for ways and resources to escape, or if you are looking to provide support for someone, whether that's happening now or in the future, there is something in this conversation that can be taken for everyone. So let's get into it. What connects us to Kendra? Let's find out. Kendra Weenie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. We're getting to the point now where COVID is starting to dissipate a little bit here. Uh, What has been the first couple of things you've been doing now that the restrictions have started to calm down a little bit? Uh, Definitely socializing. (laughs) I kind of isolated myself for a long, long time. Too long. Yeah. Yeah, So it's been nice to uh, visit with friends who I haven't seen in a while and just socialize in general. Yeah. All right, so let's get started with a quick introduction. Tell me, who is Kendra Weenie? Give me some background on who you are so we can better understand your story. Yeah, so um, I uh, I always tell people, you know, I'm, I'm a res girl at heart. I was raised on the reserve. Um, I grew up for during my early childhood in Big River First Nation, mm. which is um, kind of in northern Saskatchewan. And then my mom raised the four of us um, as a single parent in Sweetgrass First Nation oh, from wow. the but from the time I was about five to 18, and then I've just kind of been a city girl since then. <laughs> right on. Um, yeah. And you moved to North Battleford, right? Yep. I was in North Battleford for a while. Um, when I turned 18, I went off to college up in Northern Alberta, yep. Fort McMurray. I actually went there for volleyball, played cool. some women's volleyball up there. Um, and then a couple of years later, I joined the... Uh, it's called the ITEP program, Indian Teacher Education Program through the U of S. Cool. And that's where I graduated from. And uh, yeah, that in my last year, that's when I met uh, the the guy who I thought I was going to end up with for the rest of my life. Right. But unfortunately, you know, um, a lot of people know by now, like it, it didn't work out. Yeah. I was only with him for about 14 months. Um and that's kind of, you know, after leaving, that's kind of when my healing journey began and 
a lot, a lot of things changed. Like I'm not um, the same person that I was, obviously I've grown a lot since then. And I also tell people, it's so weird, you know, when I talk about the journey, my book, you know, everything that's happened before age 25, it's like, I'm talking about, I'm sharing someone else's story. Oh, interesting. Because, yeah, just because of, you know, all the work I've done um, since then, you know, in the last eight and a half years and um, starting on my second book, actually, and just, uh, you know, it's really nice to have confidence that I've never had before. And um, all these tools and resources for for healing when I am, you know, going through negative any kind of like negative emotions or stresses oh absolutely so we're going to drive or dive into this story because it is a heartbreaking story but it has some happy endings through it where like just doing my research on you i'm like this girl has so much courage and is helping so many people through this so i'm super excited to hear about it so what was give us a snapshot of what life was like prior to meeting your abuser (laughs) i was uh i had a bit of a wild wild lifestyle um i and i was really secretive about it like mm-hmm. i you know i had a very few amount um uh, number of close friends and usually those were like my drinking buddies you know i i yep. used to drink before i had my daughter especially in my fourth year of university man that was a very stressful year i remember going out almost every weekend and I was caught up in this really toxic cycle of the the relationships that I got myself into. Mm. I would, you know, meet a man or boy, you know, like a guy around my age. Um, and it was usually when I was out drinking, mm-hmm. you know, going out to the bar, going to parties or, you know, social gatherings where there's alcohol involved. It's not that hard to meet meet a guy, totally. right? Because a lot of times that's what they're looking for, too. And um, we just need that liquid courage to, you know, really go up and start talking to somebody new. Totally. So I was caught up in this toxic cycle of, you know, go out, meet a guy, hook up, and then decide later whether or not you want to continue seeing each other. <laughs> yeah. And so the opposite of how you're supposed to, <laughs> totally. you know, like now I'm like, oh my gosh, you're supposed to be friends first. Right. You're supposed to get to know them first. Like these and are a, things that I wasn't taught. Yeah, an emotional connection? Just... What's that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You don't get to know. Well, in my case, you know, I didn't get to know people first. Yeah. I just, you know, just went right into a relationship. Yeah. And that's common too. Like this isn't just like something that is exclusive to what you're going through, especially in your fourth year university. I think that's what a lot of people kind of do in their, in their party yeah. years. So that's not abnormal. I don't think. So tell me what it was like meeting him and what things um, were your relationship kind of like before the abuse started. It was like uh, a modern day fairy tale. Mm. Like it was, it was crazy. I, I remember thinking for the longest time that he was too good for me. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, he's so handsome. Like, he's so funny, charismatic. He's just, he's so perfect. You know, that's what I, I thought so highly of him. Did you meet him at the beginning? Did you meet him at the bar or where did you meet him? Oh yeah. 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 I met him at the bar. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And uh, it was actually my, on my, my grad night from university that I, that's when I met him. Yeah. And I had like way too much to drink that night. Um, 
And I'm the one who actually went and pursued him because I was full of all this liquid courage. And, yeah. You know, there was no stopping me that night. <laughs> yeah. And you're a graduated woman. Of course. Yeah. 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 So like, you know, false confidence, you know, after um, I had so many drinks and I pursued this really tall, really handsome black man. And I thought anyway, I thought we had like a really strong connection in the beginning. Sure. And it was really good. It was really good for that very short um that very short time after meeting awesome are you allowed to say his name yep yeah. uh chris 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 okay awesome yeah. so tell me about those first couple like you meet chris at the bar you start to realize that this might be something that's more than just like a one night thing tell me about what that kind of um part of your life was like with him yeah um at the time i still had you know a really low self-esteem i was happy for myself that I just graduated university but there was still this other part of me that was like desperate to settle down desperate to feel loved and you know because I didn't have that love for myself yeah and I thought finding a man to uh, be with you know long term was gonna fill that void and so I was really desperate to like settle down I really wanted to get married and you know maybe have kids and all that all that stuff that a lot of people around me had already been doing like yeah. I was 24 yeah I was 24 like now that I think about it that's so young yeah. that's still so young but a lot of um you know old classmates and whatnot uh they like to post things on social media <laughs> and yeah. so yeah yeah and they still do but yeah. Yeah, they were all getting married. They were having kids. They looked like they were so in love. And I was like, oh, my God, I want that, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I thought that that's what was going to make me happy, mm -hmm. ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of why um, I just really felt like I had to make it work mm -hmm. in the beginning. Was it like a, like you said, a fairy tale right off the beginning mm -hmm. where like, were you guys in that honeymoon stage right away? Like, was he treating you well during this, t this part of the relationship too? Or did things, did you, were there warning signs right off the bat? There were very early warning signs, but um, I let a lot of little things slide just because I'd never actually been in a good relationship mm -hmm. up to that point. Yeah. You know, I never knew what a healthy relationship even looked like. Right. Um, so I let a lot of things slide. I'm like, well, you know, if, if I, if I want to make this work, you know, I'm going to have to sacrifice some things. I'm going to have to let some things go. I'm mm -hmm. going to have to comp compromise. You know, it, I thought I was the one who had to, you know, make a lot of sacrifices yeah. basically if I wanted a relationship to work. Right. So what were these sort of small things? Yeah. So the main one, um, right, right off the hop, was and uh you know i i'm very blunt and you'll you'll figure that out sure. quite quickly yeah. i'm very blunt you know and honest when i share my experiences mm -hmm. um chris refused to wear protection oh really yeah and that that was a huge red flag mm -hmm. you know and now i tell people like if i were to talk to my younger self mm -hmm. I would tell her, well, you know what, there's probably some kids he doesn't know about if he, you know, is refusing to use protection, yeah. first of all. Yeah. But obviously, you know, I wasn't thinking that way yeah. at that time. So I just kind of let that slide. Yeah. Um, another one was uh, he refused to talk about his past. Oh. And he was or is 12 years older than me. Mm -hmm. 
so I was 24, he was 36. He'd had a lot more, you know, experience than I did and probably experience in relationships, but he never wanted to talk about it. Mm. So that was, uh, should have been, you know, a huge red flag. Totally. Yeah. And then another one, sorry, I, I just want to mention Absolutely. one more. Yeah. Um, a, a short week and a half in, he was falling asleep at the table. At, it was like three or four in the afternoon, middle of the day. Okay. He just, he was sitting in his chair and he fell asleep. And I was like, what? You know, I, I was like, that something's not right. Yeah. And then I let it go at the time, but it happened again, like a couple hours later, he was sitting on the couch and then I look over and he, he's sleeping, he's snoring. I was like, what? That is, uh, I've never seen that, you know, <laughs> I don't know what that's about. And then, so I asked him like, what, what, why did you fall asleep? You know, yeah. like you're not an old man to want to take cat naps in the middle <laughs> of the day. That's the first thing I thought of. And yeah. I was like, and you didn't work yesterday. Like what's going on? And he's like, oh, I, I have narcolepsy. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. you have narcolepsy? I remember just feeling really sorry for him yeah. because I believed everything he said. Yeah. And um, what was actually happening was he was having withdrawals to hard drugs oh. that early on. Yeah. I didn't know what withdrawals looked like yeah. or because I didn't associate with people who did drugs. Yep. Yeah. So, and those little episodes didn't happen again yep. after that. Yeah. Yeah. So three huge red flags totally. very early on. But you can understand yeah. where you are trying to draw your identity as someone who is wanting to find love and and compare mm -hmm. yourself to these people on social media where you're like okay it's time for me to kind of um, compromise a little bit and maybe and you're, you're trusting this person so it makes sense why you were kind of overlooking these red flags that that and I I thought very little of myself too at the time like mm -hmm. I had very low self-worth so that was another huge reason why I just stuck it out totally as long as I did yeah yeah um, and then shortly into your relationship, you, you became pregnant. Tell me a little bit about this. Yeah. So we moved in together after two months of seeing each other. And then, uh, November of that year, I became pregnant mm. and man, I really had a battle with myself, um, mentally after finding that out because I felt really trapped by that point yeah. I felt like okay there's no getting out there's no getting out now because I'm pregnant and um I'm gonna have to accept it and I I was kind of depressed I was really depressed about mm. it but I didn't sh I, I'm really good at hiding you know when I'm feeling yeah. those very negative emotions so I hid it well from him and instead I I prayed I prayed about it oh. and um, you know, some of the the teachings that I was brought up with um, came back to me while I was praying. And then I was like, okay, well, I got to focus on my self-care now. I focused more on um, my health, you know, as a new, new pregnant mom yeah. instead of my relationship. Yeah. So eight weeks pregnant. Um, and this is where... Um, I read that you said that your your partner first started getting violent. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about this. Yeah, um, it was a few days after Christmas. And, you know, in a lot of abusive relationships, December is probably the most stressful. Mm -hmm. 
uh, stressful because, you know, if you can't afford presents for your kids, for one, that's a huge stress. And just, just overall, you know, December is a stressful month, I yep. think, for everybody. For sure. And so <clears throat> our situation was no different. Very stressful month. And um, I I was already being controlled, you know, financially, especially um, experiencing emotional abuse and I didn't really have like a lot of say in major decision making Mm -hmm. and then I also had this gut feeling that he was you know up to no good I had already knew or I knew yeah I knew about his uh excuse me his drug addiction by this point and I had this feeling that he was still doing drugs Mm -hmm. so he was in the bathroom taking a shower and it was like eight or nine at night. And um, I was like, oh man, I bet he's up to no good. So I went through his phone and I saw text messages between him and this woman that he knew, he'd known her for years, but he said he stopped talking to her and she sold drugs. Mm. And so there was this conversation going on and um, there were, it was basically proof that he was getting high during his lunch breaks, oh. at, like at work. Mm not getting high at work, but like, you know, going there to get high. Yep. And so I was like, oh, I knew it. And I got so angry. I, you know, got mad at him as soon as he came out of the bathroom. And then um, I couldn't even really get a word in after that because he started lecturing me, um, you know, blaming past experiences on why he was the way he was, you know, just not taking ownership of, what I accused him of and then after a while it's oh my god you think I'm cheating on you oh I'd never cheat on you like I was like what yeah you know just trying to trying to um turn it around on me and I was like oh my gosh what I don't think I mentioned cheating at all like what's going on here and I got really fed up and I left the room and he followed me and by this point he was on the phone with uh that woman the woman and he's like oh she thinks i'm cheating on her and blah 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 blah. i'm like i never said that and i was like trying to get a word in i couldn't get a word in and then i tried getting up to leave the room again and he pushed me down thankfully there was a uh a chair in that bedroom that we were in and that's where i fell onto and I remember just getting really shaky because I was scared. I was like, oh, my God, like, he knows I'm pregnant. You know, I was kind of freaking out. And then I started crying and, like, hyperventilating. And I was like, because I, I couldn't believe he pushed me. He knew I was pregnant. You know, like, that's so dangerous. And then um, he got off the phone with the woman. And then he starts, like, making me feel really claustrophobic. He was trying to hug me and calm me down. But it was making me more, like, panicky. Yeah. And I like couldn't breathe and he was so angry that I, you know, wasn't calming down. So he picked me up from behind and started walking me down to the basement because we had the biggest bedroom um, was in the basement. So, or yeah, so that's where we slept. So we were walking down or no, sorry. He was carrying me down the stairs and then I got this sudden urge to just scream like just scream and maybe the neighbors will hear maybe someone walking by will hear so i did and that made him really angry and he put me down and he he shoved his fingers down my throat and he said shut the f up 
I'm not going back to jail. I didn't even know he'd been to jail. And yeah, after that, um, I remember just like being really scared for my life, you know, after that. And so I just, I just shut up. I was like, okay, just shut up, just shut up. You know, don't piss them off anymore. I was kind of like talking to myself um, in my head. And then by the time we got to the bedroom, I remember to pray again. And um, after praying, uh, I'll just say it's kind of hard to explain, but I was guided out of that situation. Um, I kind of blacked out for a while, but after a while, I remember I had my backpack on and a overnight set of clothes in my backpack and I was standing by the car outside. It was like minus 30, it was freezing. And I was waiting for him to grab the car keys because he wouldn't let me leave or go take a drive, take a breather, unless I left him with some money. And I was like, uh, okay, yeah, sure. So I was standing there waiting and I look up, you know, I look up into our our duplex and I can see that he's kind of like scrounging around looking for the car keys. And then I just started walking. Like I start, I just walked away from our home and um he ended up finding the keys pulling up close to where i was and he yelled at me to get in the car Uh, and then and then i just started running i started sprinting away and it was actually uh, a voice in my head that was guiding me that's what i mean by i was guided out of this situation very interesting and i wasn't listening to him i was just listening to this voice and after a while I find myself probably about 10 blocks away um, at a 7-Eleven and I just, I was like, okay, I got to call the cops. Mm. So I asked the owners to call the cops and they dropped me off at the YWCA downtown. And then he was on the run for a few days because he never went back to that, our, our place. Okay. Yeah. It was crazy. Like... <laughs> Just describing it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds like a horror film. Yeah. You know, and that's what it felt like. And this was all one night. That was one night. Oh my gosh. For anybody listening that is wondering what it's like to be financially controlled, what does that look like? Oh gosh. Uh, a lot of debt. And you, it's it's depressing because you don't know if you're ever going to be able to pay it off. Mm-hmm. Like I just felt like I wasn't allowed to spend any money without his consent yeah and even if i wanted to like say take some kind of training or go out to the movies or i'm like oh well you know i better not be selfish i better not do that um because you know i still got this credit card debt to pay off or i felt like i couldn't do anything fun that cost cost money because um he was doing all the spending and always needed money for something. And it was always me that, you know, ended up having to pay off, pay off the debts and whenever I would get paid from, from work and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So it it was highly stressful. And it makes sense. Like you're stressed about money as it is. And he is buying drugs from this woman and it Mm -hmm. makes sense why you were just so angry in that moment. Anybody would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, what comes next? So you, you're dropped off at the YWCA. Um, yeah. The cops are called. What comes next? So after that, um, 
I was only there. I was just there for the night. Um, I called. I didn't have a my wallet or cell phone or anything, so um, I called my mom's. Actually, I think I called my brother first, and he happened to be at my mom's, mm. and so he picked me up. Um, he helped me move out. I made a plan to move back to my mom's, which is two hours away. And then a few days, like he was calling me. He he kept calling me, but I I wouldn't answer. And then I remember a brief moment moment of strength that I had. A brief moment. I was like, I came up with this plan to um, get him caught. Get him caught. I was like. He should have to pay for what he did to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was really angry and just upset and sad about the whole thing and ashamed. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I want him to pay for what he did. So I was still in touch with his stepsister at the time who I knew that he was probably staying with. She called me. I, I believe she called me or I called her. I can't remember. And I heard him in the background. This was like a few days later, maybe three or four days later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, hey, uh, don't don't make it obvious that it's me. Like, just pretend you're talking to another friend. I said, is he, is he there? And she's like, yep. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and then I like made small talk and then I, I made an excuse to, you know, hang up the phone. And then I hung up and then I called the cops. And I was like, hey, I know where he is. And then um, later on, I found out that like four big police officers showed up to arrest Chris at his stepsister's place. And yeah, and he spent, um, I think, about a couple weeks in jail that time. Okay. Almost two weeks. Yeah. So he spent New Year's in prison. I ignored him for a while, but, you know, I was still pretty weak, mentally weak at the time, vulnerable pregnant mm-hmm. uh didn't want to be a single mom you know i remember just oh i don't want to be a single mom i don't want to be a single mom like i just that just kept repeating in the back of my mind i don't want my child growing up without a dad that was on repeat you know mm-hmm. and then um he he called me from jail and just sounded like he he wasn't mad at me you know i'm not mad at you i still love you um and then we slowly started talking about like how we're going to make it work because i told him like you got to smarten up like you got to quit quit your addictions i don't want my kid growing up around that like i just i won't have it once we started making up it was oh well you know he didn't hit me he didn't hit me it wasn't that bad you know i was just really downplaying what actually happened that night like you started almost to rationalize that it wasn't as mm -hmm. bad yeah could have been worse you know could have been worse he still i it sounds like he still really loves me you know like just really um trying to talk myself into or give myself reasons for why we should try to make it work kind of thing right yeah so um you go back to him um and you deliver your 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 daughter what was that kind of time like with in between you come back to him and delivering your child was did things seem to look like it was better or did you have to tolerate some of this behavior again i was ashamed the entire time Mm -hmm. like i i stopped talking to a lot of people because well first of all i didn't want them to know why or the fact that you know we even broke up 
or um, just know any details about what was going on, what was really going on mm-hmm. in my relationship. I was just really ashamed. And so the only people I really talked to were um, close family members, like my mom, my brother. But even them, like I wouldn't really give them a lot of details as to what was really happening behind closed doors, right. which was, you know, arguments at least once a week. And um, anytime he raised his voice, I would just shut up. Yeah. I would just shut up because I was scared of him mm-hmm. and I didn't want him to put his hands on me again. Right. Yeah. So it was a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear and just, yeah, it was awful. Oh, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. Um, so the last straw came just after you had your daughter take me to this mm-hmm. moment and tell me what happened. Um, I was in, I had Kalea through uh, a C-section so I had to spend five days in the hospital recovering yeah. and like healing and um, healing physically. And uh, I I couldn't feel my body even by the time I left. Like I couldn't feel a third of my body because, you yeah. know, they have to numb you so that they can take the baby out. Yeah. And <clears throat> so by the time we left the hospital and, you know, went home, I I still wasn't completely recovered. Like I, I struggled even just to walk. I couldn't carry her in her car seat. Like that was just too much for me. And um, so it was hard, like uh, coming back from the hospital. And, uh, but while I was in the hospital, I, I remember just praying so hard every single day. Mm -hmm. I, I prayed um, either for a way out of the relationship or for Chris to change. Like it was always those two things all day, every day that I prayed for. Right. You know how when you ask for something, but you already know the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's basically what it was. Like I knew the answer, but I was like, well, I'm gonna pray for him anyway because I still didn't want to be a single mom. Yeah. I still didn't want my child growing up without a dad. Right. You know. So uh, when Kalea was just over a week old, eight days old, um, my mom just left home for the night because she'd come over every day to check in, bring me some food to eat, you know, just carry Kalea, whatever, help me out with whatever I needed. And then she went home. And by that time it was about nine o'clock and about four hours, four or five hours earlier, Chris said he was going to go play some basketball at the gym, but he still wasn't home yet. And I was like, Oh my gosh, he's not playing basketball. Like there's no way a grown man can last five hours playing basketball at the right. gym and i was like oh. i was i was like hey i'm gonna i'm just gonna call him so i called him and i heard um laughing and music in the background and i was like oh my gosh he's not at the gym and sure enough like he's like oh yeah my you know my coworkers just wanted to take me out to celebrate and so i hung up on him i was so furious mm-hmm. and i was like okay I remember just saying like a little thank you because I knew that my, that, that was the answer to my prayers, you know, right there. And uh, I was like, Hey, shoot, I gotta, you know, pack us. Oh, this, like, I was just dreading what would come next. And then I made this really bad mistake of sending him one last text. Mm. And I always tell people now, you know, when I share my story, if you know somebody that is in an abusive relationship and you know they sound really serious about leaving 
and they maybe even share their plan with you about, you know, what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, tell them not to tell their partner anything because that's leaving, like leaving isn't the hard part. It's what comes after. And so I told Chris what my plan was. I texted him and I said, you know what? Um, We're going to go stay with my mom for a while. You know, like basically he's not safe to be around. Like I, and I was so angry and I shut my ringer off and I put my phone away and I started packing. Huge mistake. He comes in the living room door about 20 minutes later, slams the door shut. And then he immediately comes in the room and picks up Kalea and starts lecturing me. Why are you trying to leave me? Why are you trying to let our daughter grow up without a dad? You know, just nonstop. I couldn't even get a word in as usual. And it's all my fault as usual. And the only thing I could think to say, like I was crying by this point because I was scared, um, was I, I just wanted you home. I just wanted you home. Like that's, all I remember saying in response after a while, you know, he's just kind of like pacing around in the bedroom and I was still getting dressed. Actually, I was changing like when he came in. So I bent down to pick up uh, a sweater off the ground. I was going to put it on. And then I, I felt this uh, just like a really hard pressure on the back of my head. And then again and again and again, like over and over again, I was like, what the heck? And I, cause I couldn't stand up. Once I fully stood up, I realized that he was slapping the back of my head. And my my body just went into uh, a different state. Like, it, it froze. I couldn't feel anything. It was crazy. While he's holding Kalea. Um, while he's holding Kalea. Oh, my gosh. And then after a while, I'm, you know, laying on the bed because one of the times he slapped me, like, I fell on the bed. And then he starts hitting me over and over again and punching or punching me in the face, spitting in my face, calling me all sorts of really disgusting names. And then um, one of the last things he said was, I like, if you try to leave me, I'll kill you. Mm. Or, or get, he also threatened to like get his friends after me. And I just, I gave up. I gave up because he was holding my daughter for one that's the most helpless i ever felt and i believed i believed him like i believed he was gonna kill me or like get his friends to kill me and so i i I just gave up and um by some miracle i remember to pray like i think i was laying there for about 30 seconds just doing nothing looking up at the ceiling and then i remember to pray And that same guide that came to me when I was uh, eight weeks pregnant, I heard it again. So I completely tuned out Chris and I focused on this voice because I knew that it was going to, that's the only thing that that was going to save me. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, So it, it guided me out of there. Like I, I still, you know, I can't believe I was able to get out of there, but, um, how do you get out of that situation? Like, do you, do you wait until he calms down and then you wait till the next day or what did that look like? No. Um, so the voice was telling me to look for a way out. Mm -hmm. So I was scanning the room and I remember, um, because he was kind of pacing around the house wondering like what to do next kind of thing. Yeah. 
and I looked after he left the room one of the times I looked at the the bedroom window it was kind of a pie not very big but I was like I could fit through there you know I'll just jump out wow and the voice was like nope nope you'll get hurt I was like okay okay yeah, you're like and, six days away for or like after a c-section you shouldn't even yeah. be lifting anything more than 10 pounds let alone jumping out of a window that is so sad yeah and then after a while he made me go into the living room sit on the couch and i looked i was staring at the living room door we never used that door and i was like okay yeah that's that's my escape route okay just wait you know i just gotta wait and then i was gonna get up and go and then the voice was like no wait i was wow. like okay and then after a while he was in the bedroom and his back was turned and that was like the furthest possible distance away from me. Mm -hmm. And then the voice was like, okay, go, go, you know, run. So I got up, ran out the door, jumped off the steps and it was like pouring rain outside. I had no socks or shoes or anything on my feet. And I just like started running as fast as I could. I ran to the, the neighbors mm -hmm. just across the street and unfortunately that was also a very traumatizing situation um at the time we had neighbors who drank every weekend um and i didn't even know they had kids but they're when i like i was banging on the door and someone opened the door and i saw kids small children sitting at the table and they had friends over and they're all drinking i was like can you guys you know call the cops and then the, the mom um kicked me out she's like get her out of here she's just like oh my god pissed off yeah she was pissed off i don't i don't know why like there could have been a number of reasons why but um but i wasn't gonna leave until someone called the cops so i just stood there and then her friend one of the friends like got me to just sit on the steps while she calmed down you know the mom and so i just sat there and i was i kept staring into the window because at at our our house mm -hmm. because he shut all the lights off i was like what the heck is he doing with my baby you know i was i was freaking out wow. so i kept staring at the house just to see like if i see if i could tell what was going on inside and um and then they ended up calling you know the cops and i don't know why it took so long the cop station was just down the street yeah but it felt like it took 15 to 20 minutes until someone actually showed up and um by that point i had seen him leave the house um he had something in his arms like i i knew oh, okay yeah that's probably kalea mm -hmm. and it was pouring rain outside and he just starts walking down the street wow. and then there were these two guys at that house and they were they were pissed off like they were angry that you know someone did that to me because my face was just full of blood and mm -hmm. swollen and so once they saw him leave they they went they took off after him i was oh, like wow. oh my gosh i hope the cops get here i don't want them you know like yeah. um fighting him or anything and thankfully right as they were it looked like they were gonna like approach him the cops showed up Oh. And then the ambulance not long after. Yeah. So this is where you start to think it's time to get out of this full time. What steps yeah. do you do you take? And like, how did the cops get involved? What came next? Unfortunately, I didn't receive the support, the support that I needed. Mm -hmm. 
I didn't, I also didn't know that domestic violence is so common. I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know a lot of things about my situation and how it's not so different from a lot of other relationships. And they get calls like that every day. But still, I feel that I should have been treated with a lot more compassion, a lot more respect than I was. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just kind of like very robotic is the way that I like the word that comes to mind and like the way that I was treated. Like transactional. Yes. Oh, we're sorry. This has happened to you. Um, And then not a whole lot lot of information as to what's going to happen next. Mm. Um, He was let out on electronic monitoring after I think just under two weeks of being in jail. Right. And you got Kalea. And I got Kalea. Yeah. Right away. Like after she was looked over at the hospital. Yeah. I got to take her home. And, um, it was worse after leaving. Like my, my fear was worse. My anxiety was worse. Mm -hmm. He threatened to kill me, you know, like, so I, I couldn't sleep. I could hardly eat. And you're staying Um, with your mom at this time or. Yeah. I was staying with my mom. He knew where she lived. So I was just like every day watching my back. I didn't want to go anywhere in public Mm -hmm. because I was afraid that I'd see him or, um, some of his friends, his like, I don't know if he had like friends who were gang members. Like I didn't know enough about him. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just, I was just so scared all day, every day while he was out on monitoring. He ended up cutting off his bracelet a few weeks later and he was still trying to get a hold of me. Like he was sending me Facebook messages from random accounts that he created, um, emails from random emails that he made. Um, and then he sent me this huge chain of emails, um, right before cutting off his bracelet saying like, I'm going to come see the baby. One of the last messages said, I'm coming to see my baby. How does that work? If your, your monitor is cut off, like in my mind, it feels like it should like send off like warning signals to like some sort of computer system or something like that. Does not, does that not happen? Honestly, I'm not, I have no idea like what what's the protocol there. Um, I didn't ask about it. Like I was too, I was too ticked off to like call the cops and ask questions. (laughs) Right. right, Fair. (laughs) I was like, why was he even let out to begin with? You know, like I was, I was furious, Mm -hmm. furious. So they didn't go looking for him or anything. Um, initially I don't think so. Um, but so as soon as I received that last email, I was at my mom's by myself with my daughter mm-hmm. and I freaked out and I packed this up for, you know, at least a few days worth of clothes. And I went and stayed with a relative in North Battleford. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was like, Oh my gosh, he's gonna, you know, he knows where my mom lives. I wonder if he knows like where my cousin lives or, yeah. you know, I was just really on uh, like fight or flight, fight or flight. And stayed, I was going to stay there for, for the night, but that, evening that I got to my cousin's I called my brother my brother has um he's been like my number one support throughout this whole process Mm -hmm. and I I used to look to him a lot for validation for any decisions like any major decisions that I made I just couldn't trust myself to make my own decisions and I remember like I called him and I was just bawling my eyes out. I was like, I don't know why they let him out. You know, I just want him put back in jail so I can 
you know, sleep at night or not be so scared. And um, he's like, well, you know, what's going to get him caught, you know, like, I was like, yeah, I know, but I don't know. He's like, just do it. Just do it. I was like, okay. So <clears throat> that evening I posted a full length picture of Chris mm -hmm. along with a paragraph description of what happened. Just a plea for help. Like I begged anyone who's seen him, please call the cops, you know, have me and my daughter to think about and posted that on Facebook. Wow. I, the, the next morning I went and checked into the Battleford interval house for safety. Yeah. And that post got, I would say roughly around 5,000 shares over the course of a week. Wow. Um, I got, oh gosh, at least a hundred messages from other survivors, from, you know, people who witnessed their mom get beaten when they were kids, from people who, you know, were in abusive relationships, both men and women, but like 90% of those messages were from women. Mm -hmm. And then the last few messages I received were from people who they didn't believe me uh one was accusing me of attention seeking oh one gosh. was one person knew chris and knew what a you know what a nice guy he was and they didn't believe he was capable of such a thing and i was so angry and also desperate to get him caught mm -hmm. and i felt all oh, the you know the cops say there like there's a warrant out and they're looking but i don't believe them i i was so desperate so exactly a week after that initial post i posted another picture of the same full-length picture of chris next to a picture of my beaten face mm. and i remember thinking to myself if they're not going to believe this i give up right i give up because first of all i shouldn't even have to do this mm -hmm. you know i was i was really angry with the police at the time i was like if they would just do their damn job like i was i was angry sorry right. sorry for my language but totally <laughs> I was so furious. I was like, I shouldn't even have to be doing this. I, I posted the same plea for help. Um, it got almost 13,000 shares overnight. And he was picked up the next day. Wow. The next day. Yeah. Wow. So where was he? He was in Calgary, Alberta. So that post and had found its way to Calgary and people knew where he was in Calgary. Yep. And uh, I was told that his employer turned him in. So he managed to get a job in that short time he was on the run. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. Overnight. So what comes after that? So he's found. Um, how are you feeling once you hear those words that he is in police custody um, and he's going to be put away for a little bit? I was, I was like overjoyed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was overjoyed. Like I, I was super emotional. You know, after it kind of like sunk in, I was like, I did that. I got him caught. You know, I shouldn't have had to go to that extreme, but um, I'm just glad that he he was uh, put back in jail. Okay, let's take a quick step away to provide some further context. What Kendra went through is incredibly tough, and one of the reasons a lot of women stay in abusive relationships is the intimidation factor when it comes to leaving, especially from a financial standpoint. I reached out to Bev Duthy, who is our financial services supervisor at our Fort Capel branch, and I asked her, if someone is fleeing a domestic violence situation, what would you recommend they do to protect their financial well-being or gain access to financial supports? Here's what she had to say. Thank you for including me in this conversation, Mason. Fleeing a domestic violence situation is very scary. You are protecting your physical, mental, and financial well-being. 
to anyone who may find themselves in a situation like this and are preparing to leave, my advice would be take an inventory of your resources, including your income, cash, savings, investments, and other properties such as a car or home. Open a new bank account that's in your name alone. Set money aside in this account aiming to cover your projected costs of leaving the relationship and establishing yourself. This money can come from income or bonuses at work, friends and family, or support organizations that provide financial assistance. I would recommend creating a new email address and getting set up with online banking to receive e-statements. Keep your login IDs and passwords private and delete your browser history each time you log in to either your email or bank account. If you are worried about your partner adding additional debt in your name, you can place a fraud alert on your credit bureaus. Most importantly, I highly recommend and encourage you to connect with your financial advisor or our member contact center. We are here to help and support you during challenging times. Thanks, Bev. Yeah, asking for help is incredibly tough and intimidating, but there are supports in place in case you need to. Now let's get back to our interview with Kendra. What was that like for you to share something so deeply personal where you had kind of shut yourself off from people because of the shame you were feeling and now you are broadcasting something you are so insecure and shameful about? What was that like for you? You know, in, in sharing, I I took a lot of my power back mm-hmm. that I never knew I had. I felt a lot more free that I could, you know, maybe I can make my own decisions. Yeah. You know, like there was just this like little light bulb that went off and like, oh, I guess I can have a life, you know, without a man. I guess I can be a single mom and probably be good at it. You know, like I started to slowly, super slowly, you know, gain some confidence that I just never had or knew I could have. Oh, that's powerful. One of the biggest reasons people stay in abusive relationships <laughs> is the financial concerns, something that, that mm-hmm. you went through as well. So he goes to jail and you now are feeling like it's time to turn the page. How do you start to reestablish your financial well-being, especially as a young mother? Like what comes next in that next stage of your life? <clears throat> so one smart decision that I did make after that second time I got back with him um, was I said, I'm not getting back together unless you move to North Battleford, you find us a place and you put everything under your name. Yeah. So that's, that's, he, he agreed. Yeah. And so I wasn't left with a whole lot of debt, fortunately. Right. And I had, by that point too, I had three vehicles, you know, only one of them actually ran well. The others were <laughs> kind of like be- beaten and broken down. Right. I was able to sell them. I was able to sell two of those three. I kept the big, you know, the van for, because I knew I'd need a lot of room and I was able to sell those. And then the, the money I got from there, you know, lasted me for a couple months. And then I was on uh, maternity EI. So I didn't have to worry about finding a job right away. Right. Like, I feel like after, you know, the first, the first time having to just up and leave, I was like, man, like I need to be smart about getting back together with this guy, you know, and I, I was at the time. And yeah, so fortunately I wasn't left with a whole lot of debt after having to leave that final time. And 
I had a lot of support, um, a lot of support in that first year after Kalea was born. My brother helped me out a lot. He bought her a lot of, you know, just things that she needed, like um, a jumper, uh, you know, those things that are more pricey, like a crib. Yeah. Yeah. He helped me out quite a bit with that. And I had a lot of clothes that were given to me, like kind of like handed down from other parents who had little girls Mm -hmm. and yeah so it it worked out it was crazy like how it worked out for me financially in the first the -hmm. first year when it's usually the most expensive time for new parents your your mother and your brother seem like amazing people just how they've been able to help you out through this and being like yeah thank god for them no kidding Yeah. yeah um so there may be someone listening to this who is in a situation Uh, with an abusive partner or something similar to what you went through and is looking for a piece of advice or almost like when you pray, you hear that, that voice that gives you such great wisdom. What would you tell them? I would tell them that it, it does get better. Like it's really hard initially, like just expect, you know, there are a lot of hardships because especially if you're not used to being on your own, Um, but it gets better. And the more you focus on yourself, taking care of yourself, you know, your health and well-being, it gets better. Awesome. And what about for anybody that is currently still in that situation that is looking for a sign to, or a push to, to take steps to get things better for them? What would you tell them? There, especially if you have kids, I guess, um, that's the kind of the first piece of advice that came to mind your kids are suffering the most if you stay yeah so it's like if you're staying for the kids that's not that's not a good enough reason to to hang on to the relationship Mm -hmm. because they suffer for people you know without kids get out before you have kids because you know it's it's tough having kids with an an abusive person for sure um and it sounds like there were some people that you were looking for allyship or support that didn't really didn't really show up the way that you needed at that time. So for anyone listening who knows someone or will likely one day, this is so common, especially in Saskatchewan, will one day need to support someone going through this situation. What advice would you give them to support? Listen without judgment. Um, it's very easy to judge a situation that you've never been in before. Yeah. Like a lot of people do it. I used to do it, you know, but um, if somebody is that is in an abusive relationship is willing to be open at, to talk to you about it, like just listen, just offer to listen without judgment because sometimes that's all, that's all they really need. Totally. What's a misconception that people hold about domestic violence and what would you tell them to kind of counteract that? A lot of people don't understand why a person stays. There, There's a lot of reasons why women stay in abusive relationships. So again, like just not to be judgmental, like it's so easy to judge. I've even had young um, teenagers that I've, you know, done presentations with judging me like, yeah. well, why didn't you just leave? You know, I was like, oh. Just tr- I was trying not to take offense. Right. I was trying to keep my cool, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I was like, "Well, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why women stay." Totally. And 
you can't judge people in an abusive relationships because every situation is different. Had I not had the support, the the support people, my mom and my brother, who knows if I would have been able to leave and stay away. Totally. Right? Um, there are people in isolated communities. I'm thinking of like Northern First Nations, Indigenous communities. Well, if they don't have any support outside their community, what are they supposed to do? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like it's every single circumstance is different. So you can't judge women for not wanting to leave right away yeah. or for not wanting to leave at all. It's so true. Everybody wants to kind of label yeah. or rationalize what's going on based off of their personal experiences. And when you're doing that, mm-hmm. you're casting judgment with knowing a, the tip of the iceberg without knowing anything else, especially if you haven't gone through something like that. So that's, that's some great exactly. advice. What resources are available to anyone going through a situation like you went through and where can they find safety and assistance? Um, I know there are women's shelters in um, most, you know, towns and cities throughout throughout the province and throughout Canada. Yeah. Um, sorry, I don't know the website offhand, but there's there are a few websites that have a list of shelters, like in the province and even like throughout throughout the country. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you use like you utilized UW or YWCA, um, you yep. talked about Battlefords. Yep. So what kind of support did they help you with? If anybody is looking to get out or somebody wants to suggest that to somebody, what can they expect when they walk in the door? Um, They gave me a lot of resources, uh, just, you know, at the local level, um, a list of counselors, um, a lot, uh, there's a lot of counselors that are covered through, um, excuse me, if you are status, so you get uh, free counseling services if you're status. Um, so I took full advantage of that. And, um, there are a lot of newer forms of therapy that are, you know, slowly being introduced. Like TRE was one that I learned about about six months after Clea was born. Uh, it stands for tension and trauma release exercises. And then, um, it's, you know, every individual is different, not, you know, every, um new form of therapy is going to work for everybody so if you are you know on your road to healing you just got to keep trying new things until something works for you totally that's what i found very early on for sure let's get to the part of your story that i'm excited to talk about because it just shows how you are paying it forward to others and what's actually interesting is when i was thinking about how can we get someone who has survived abuse you realize that a lot of people can't actually talk about it because their abuser is still out there and can potentially either go after them for it, defamation, all this sort of stuff. So I'm very thankful that you're sharing this story and I want to talk about some great things that you're doing to spread the word and, and support others through this. So you wrote a book about your experience. What was that like? Oh my goodness. Um, it was an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> it was, oh, it was uh, exhausting. It was, you know, physically and emotionally. Um, I had to go to a lot of counseling sessions throughout the writing process. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was tough. It was tough, and there was a lot of self doubt, you know, throughout throughout the writing process as well. And, um, but I tried to look at the bigger bigger picture when I would, you know 
try to talk myself out of it from going through with it. Yeah, I look at the bigger picture, like this book is probably going to help a lot of women. Yes, you share a lot of personal, you know, experiences and whatnot. But ultimately, my goal was to help women. Mm -hmm. And that's I feel like it's achieved that so far. For sure. What was that like? Did you have to like have somebody assist with you in writing? Or is this you like, like taking out the laptop and like, okay, I'm starting this like once upon a time, like, how does that work? (laughs) (laughs) um i tried not to overthink it too much i was like okay well i'm planning on self-publishing so if i mess up you know throughout this pro like the writing the the first draft i can get my editor that i hired to help me out right so i tried not to overthink things too much like um you know grammar errors things like that and i started with an experience that I remembered in detail, which was the night that I left. Right. So that's actually what I started writing first. Yeah. And then I just kept building on it. Like, okay, other experiences that, you know, contribute to um, the main storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got into, you know, details from childhood experiences, from um, things that shape who I am today. Like I talk a lot about sports, you know, and how sports, playing sports was the only time I really truly felt confident as a youth right yeah so I talk about that and then um, my relationship with my parents what it was like growing up on Sweetgrass First Nation you know we face a lot of disadvantages Mm -hmm. as res kids you know growing up um, on welfare uh, no family vehicle no local grocery store like there's just there's a lot of disadvantages and not a lot of opportunity to be successful growing up in that environment especially since you said you're you had a mom who was a single mom raising four kids too right so it's not like you had an example of a father to to show that chris's behavior is not like the way it should be correct yeah 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 so your book is called um surviving domestic violence my journey of self-care and healing um, I'll put the link to that on Amazon in our episode notes if anybody wants to check that out. Um, so tell me a little bit about um, some other great things you're doing. Like there's so many amazing things that you're doing. You you host workshops and conferences and you even started a nonprofit, Crystal's Gift, to help single mothers in, in Saskatoon find gently used furniture for their homes. What does it mean to you to help others through such a such a challenging situation in their lives? Yeah, it's it's very rewarding, you know, like to be able to give back because that's how I, a lot of people measure success by, oh, this person's got a PhD, oh, this person's got a, you know, half million dollar home or nice vehicle. I measure success by how much you're able to give back. What a great way to look at that. Measure success on how you're giving back and what you're able mm-hmm. to give back. That's so great. Um, and, and good for you. Like it if this is something that somebody's gone through and they've chosen to kind of withdraw a little bit and heal on their own time and they aren't able to give to someone at that moment, that that's totally fine. But it's so great that this has been part of your healing journey to be able to support others. It's, it's, it's just awesome. Um, my next question for you is what's next? What's, what are you most looking forward to here? Oh my goodness. I'm still, I still am doing a lot of healing work. Mm -hmm. Uh, The pandemic has not been good to me at all. Like it's, oh my gosh. And I, again, like I hide it really well. 
yeah. people don't know what I'm really feeling because when I'm in social situations, I tend to hide what's really going on really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, looking forward to hopefully feeling better mentally and emotionally in the next few months, because I've been doing a lot of self-care and healing work. Mm-hmm. Um, I also started hosting uh, youth. So it's part of the other nonprofit that I co-founded in DigiFund. Yeah. Um, the way that we fundraise is through hosting youth sports camps. So um, we, you know, we'll host these camps at the field house in North Battleford and any profits that are generated go towards Indigifund, mm-hmm. which gives back to Indigenous youth in the areas of sport, culture, and education. So cool. And yeah, I'd, I've always been like an organizer, you know, a program coordinator. So taking on new projects is like pretty, it's fun yeah. for me. Oh, yeah. Awesome. So we have one coming up during the Easter break that I have to look forward to. And then we'll probably have another one in the summer and just, you know, keep it going because it's like a, it's like a fundraiser too at the same time. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Um, a question that I didn't get to ask, but you just sparked it in me. You're a survivor of this and this has been years since this is, this has happened to you, but there's gotta be some like emotional scar tissue still there. Like what can, like if I'm a friend of someone who's gone through this years ago, we talked about like how grief has no timeline and I'm sure that this would have no timeline either. What are some things that you still kind of battle with, with the situation? How do you still, how does it manifest into social situations? Things like that. When I meet new men, yeah, not, not in like a romantic setting, but like just meeting new men in general, like yeah. I'm always, you know, I got a huge wall up my guard is not let down at all. You know, I just have, um, I have trust issues when it comes to meeting new men. Yeah. And I'm, I find I'm very protective of, um, my daughter as well. Mm -hmm. Like if we're in a social setting where there are, you know, other men around or yeah, I'm just, I'm very protective of her. So there, there are definitely, you know, uncomfortable situations as a result of what I went through, but, um, I try to try my best to work through it. Last question for you before we jump into some speed round questions. Uh, reflecting back on who you were when the abuse first began, we talked about how you weren't very self-confident. Your self-worth wasn't there. You were afraid. What have you learned about yourself along the way? And what do you wish you could tell yourself back then? Oh my goodness. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Like I, even when I talk to, you know, people I've, known my whole life they're like yeah you've really grown quite a bit and they don't the nice thing about it is you know they don't give me any negative feedback or like oh you're not the same you know when a person (laughs) (laughs) a person changes for the better and then old negative friends are like oh you're not the same person ever yeah no they're not like that (laughs) very fortunately I have you know a good support system around me and um so I, I get a lot of encouragement when I experience new growth and I find that I was, I had a lot of fear initially in those first few years and that's almost completely gone now. Um, I'm getting better at digging myself, myself out of like rough situations or, you know, really stressful times um, just because I'm that you know, I let go a lot of that, of a lot of that fear that it was holding me back. 
And so it's just, it's, you know, trying new things. Um, even if I'm scared to try those new things, you know, I'll do it anyway, challenging myself. I do that quite a bit. It's really helped me to, to grow, to be who I am today. Oh, awesome. Ah, oh, I like have chills <laughs> after that last one. It's, it's something that I think a lot of us want to do after traumatic situations is to be mm-hmm. able to dig ourselves out and find self-worth and perspective through it. And I think you've just done such a great job of that. Um, all right, before we let you go, I have some speed round questions for you. A little bit lighter <laughs> uh, conversation matter uh, to get to know you in a different way. So let's start with this one. Question number one, what's something that always reminds you of your home, Sweetgrass First Nation? Uh, poplar trees. Oh, cool. Were there lots there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Uh, next question. Favorite memory on the volleyball court? Um, Probably the first time I six-packed the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For anybody that's what the what six-pack, it's like you smash a ball and you, you nail them. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And it was a guy who like used to play for the U of S Husky. Okay. So it was just bittersweet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. What position do you play? Are you middle? Um. I, I played middle for at least 10 years in women's volleyball, but yeah. in co-ed, I'm power position. Awesome. Very cool. Oldest piece of clothing in your closet, and do you still wear it? Oh, my gosh. Um, I would probably yoga pants. Like, I've always worn <laughs> yoga pants. Yeah. 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 I think I have a pair of 10-year-old Lulu <laughs> pants. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you keep old volleyball jerseys, too? No. Oh, no. good for you. I, no. I can't let them go. They're, like, rotting in my, like... My unfinished basement but like I look at them I'm like oh that was grade seven such great memories oh that's awesome what's the best advice you've ever been given try your best no matter what like this advice was actually given to me by my mom and it was when I was feeling really upset about I was on a team I don't remember what team I was on but I was angry because I was putting in so much effort and nobody else was like you know and I was like, man, you know, I try so hard and I'm so exhausted after every game, but nobody else is pulling up their socks and doing the same. And it was, you should try your best no matter what. And don't worry about what, what anybody else is doing. Totally. Because if you try your best, you're going to feel good, win or lose. 1000%. Next question. What's something your daughter has taught you? Like the word love comes to mind. She's, she says, I love you a lot. And <laughs> if I, if I make like a new recipe or like a new baking recipe, she's, you know, she, she nitpicks at things. Like yeah. she critiques things. And <laughs> um, this one time I made, I think it was shepherd's pie. Like the first time I made shepherd's pie, she's like, oh, this is really good mom, but it's just missing one thing. I was like, oh, what's that? She's like, love. Aww. <laughs> What does that mean, though, in practice? Like, I you're like, I can't pick that up from the grocery store, Kalea. Awesome. Yeah, so I guess just to, like, breathe love into everything that you do day to day. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Last question for you. What connects us? What connects us? Oh, that's a deep one. Mm-hmm. Shared experiences, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, like, when we share our stories, because <clears throat> I think of I think of women, a lot of us have shared experiences and it's, which is ironic because we judge each other so much. 
women are so judgmental to each other, you know, and um, it's just like a thing that we have to outgrow. Mm-hmm. And it's like the more we share personal experiences with one another, the closer we become. 1000%. So that's, that's, yeah, that's the first thing that comes to mind is like just sharing our stories. Amazing. Kendra, thank you for sharing your story. I am, like I said, when we were thinking about how can we find somebody who has gone through something like this, there are so many complications to it. And um, when I started like researching you and, and learning more about your story, I watched a couple of videos that you were in and I'm like, we need to get her because you do such a great job of being vulnerable and transparent, blunt, but really showcasing like the ways that you were not only courageous with yourself, but there's some really transferable things that you've, you've shown us today. And I've, I just really appreciate how you really dive into those, that emotional side, but the practical side too, about how you were able to get out and even it's always just a great um, key learning to take some time when you're going through some things to check in with yourself because a lot of times your gut feeling um, will be able to guide you in the right direction. So thank you so much for taking some time today. It was such a great conversation. No problem. Thank you for having me. You bet. Well, that's it for our chat with Kendra and for this episode of the What Connects Us podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with our season five finale. But until then, if you like the podcast and you want to support it, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe or follow button, leave a review of the podcast, share the podcast with a friend or on social media. We'll see you in two weeks. Let's connect then.